Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you forgotten that once we were brought here, we were robbed of our name, robbed of our language. We lost our religion, our culture, our God. And many of us, by the way we act, we even lost our minds. Here it is. Bam! And you say, God damn, this is a dope jam. But let's define the term called dope and you're thinking me funky now. No, here is a true tale. Why the ones that deal, all the ones that fail, yeah. You can move if you want to move. What it prove? It's here like the groove. The problem is this. We got to fix it. Check out the justice and how they run it. Selling, smelling, sniffing, dripping. And brothers trying to get swifting. Good evening and welcome to the Live Drive at 5. Right here on Black Talk Radio. Of course, my name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines. Uh, we should have a pretty interesting program for you today. We will be joined here at about 10 minutes after the hour by Mr. Anthony Perkins. Uh, he has a YouTube channel called The Revolutionary with the Tattoos. And Mr. Perkins recently posted a very passionate critique of comments made about black men and dreadlocks by uh, actor, the black actor, Anthony Mackie. Uh, Mr. Perkins has dreadlocks. Uh, he kind of took it personal. Uh, we're going to talk about that, um, how, you know, Mackie, and I've done, I, I really don't pay attention to these celebrities except for when they say something that I feel like is detrimental uh, to black people in general, non-white people as well. And so, you know, I did a little research to just get a little feel for who he is as a person. Uh, he has this film coming out uh, that, well, it's a Kevin Costner film that's coming out. Y'all know Kevin Costner, uh, the bodyguard, uh, dances with wolves and yeah, um, long time successful white male in Hollywood. And so Mr. Mr. Uh, Mackey is in this new film, Black or White, where it pits this white grandfather of a biracial child against the, uh, black grandmother. And Mr. Mackey plays the black attorney for the white uh grandfather in this film which is who is uh um kevin costner plays that character and so um i got a chance to listen to an interview when mr mackey get gave uh to i think it was black tree or rolling out or something like that um one of those um so-called independent media outlets and it just really gave me some insight into how he thinks i think he's very confused about racism and white supremacy um, it's just unfortunate that, um, he has no problem. And I mean, again, he's suffering just like many people are suffering, non-white people suffering, got that battered spouse syndrome, uh, want to, you know, blame black people for what white people are doing, uh, to us. And so, I mean, it, it, it's, I feel like Mr. Perkins, Perkins, while I may not agree with the type of language he used, but, but his critique was very valid. Okay, so uh getting past the language, um, yeah, it, it was um 
he had valid complaints about what Mr. Mackey is uh, putting out there about black people with dreadlocks. And so, yeah, it just really didn't make any sense. And now Mr. Mackey is attacking uh, the Grio reporter who reported on the, the comments um, suggesting that this this black male, this black journalist was a hack and that he, you know, took his comments out of context. And the Grio published an article um because the guy who wrote the article or did the interview of Matt Mackey uh, was doing it on behalf of the Grio and the Grio uh, published the article the past couple of days. Uh, might have came out today. I'm not sure. But anyway, I linked to it and they're pushing back and saying, you know, they're defending this black journalist uh, credibility um, and his professionalism. And they posted the entire interview, you know, not just the edited finished portion, but they cause the guys trying to claim that the journalist misled him. Mackey, that is trying to claim that this black journalist misled him to think that these comments were going to be off the record and that's kind of troubling in itself uh right there so certainly i'm looking forward to um talking to mr perkins to get his point of view for those who have not uh seen his youtube video and um again you know very passionate uh mr perkins i've actually had an opportunity to interview mr perkins perkins i think this was like maybe a couple of years ago you know and this was part of the radio program i helped produce and co-host called new abolitionist radio so mr perkins is a new abolitionist he does believe slavery uh, has never been abolished, and that is what is facing us today. It's not mass incarceration. It's not, you know, any of these PC terms that that people have come up with uh, to explain this this very very old evil that exists in this world and that exists in in this country, uh, nonstop. You know, so uh, yeah, he is a new abolitionist. And speaking of new abolitionists, um, I'll be talking uh after. I talked to Mr. Perkins. I will be speaking on U.S. Attorney Loretta Lynch. I believe she represents a district out of out of New York City. Uh, she is a current U.S. Attorney, and she was nominated by President Obama or the Obama administration to become the next U.S. Attorney General to take the place of outgoing attorney general eric holder who has announced his uh intent to retire and so they're trying to get her confirmed in the senate right now and she was asked you know by these racist suspects of the republican party about whether or not she supports uh cannabis legalization and i thought her comments were were very revealing um again she had been under the radar in terms of my personal radar in terms of you know politicians and those who work for the u.s government i have not read a lot of good things about her in terms of her fulfilling her duty to this white supremacist government um but i think you know her commentary to the senators i don't know if it was yesterday I don't know if it was this morning. There was a video posted, uh, you know, pulled from C-SPAN. And I just found her commentary on cannabis legalization to be very disconcerting. Um, in my words that I would use, I would say that she supports legalized slavery in this country. And she, you know, we want to use the PC term. We can even say she supports mass incarceration. 
and, and whatnot. And, and so, uh, yeah, she is the second black face in a high place that's speaking even against her boss, going against what he has said about, you know, cannabis not being more dangerous than alcohol. And, and, you know, President Obama made those comments. He has never lied about his use of cannabis as, as a teenager and as a young man. And, you know, um, he certainly didn't, was not prohibited from becoming, you know, the black face on, uh, this government as being, you know, the leader of the quote unquote free world. And so she's the second black person who has publicly come out against the president and his, his, uh, uh, policy on cannabis and his views on cannabis legalization last night on new abolitionist radio uh we talked about michelle lionheart or leonhard i'm not sure how you pronounce her name uh seems a lot of people have trouble pronouncing her name but she runs the dea and uh last night we reported on these two uh non-white members of the sinaloa drug cartel being sentenced to 14 years in prison uh, for smuggling tons of drugs into the United States, specifically to Chicago. And then from Chicago, uh, drugs were distributed to other cities with a predominantly black population. And, and so, um, you know, what, what was not being talked about by this at this press conference was how Michelle Leonhardt as the head of the DEA cut a deal with the Sinaloa drug cartel to allow them to smuggle drugs. Okay. And the way they're trying to portray it is like, oh, we were just trying to, you know, get some informants and, and take down the Sinaloa drug cartel. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that's how y'all spent it. After it was revealed that you cut this deal with uh, one of the most violent drug cartels in Mexico, uh, just so that you can get information on its rivals. And so, you know, lots of lots of uh, uh, deception is going on. And it just pains me to report on these stories about proxy racism, but they cannot be ignored. They are a tool of warfare and you do not ignore the enemy's tools. That That's just common sense, in my opinion. Now, I know that there is some disagreement among counter racist circles on how to deal with with non-white people uh, uh, who are operating in this system. and But I'm telling you, when they're harming other non-white people, they cannot be ignored. They cannot be ignored. Um, just like if I was on a battlefield, if the, uh, you know, person that's shooting at me is the same skin color as me, has the same hair texture as me, it would be foolish for me to ignore this guy shooting at me and, and not shoot back to defend myself so you know this is one of the greatest tools that white supremacists the refined white supremacists that run government and make these decisions this is proxy racist tools are the greatest weapon of warfare the most ingenious the most the most i i just can't you know i'm running out of words to describe how how ingenious this weapon is okay it's like a stealth bomber you don't see it coming or you ignore it, you know, and, and that seems to be the case with a lot of people is we ignore it. And it has to do with, you know, the battered wife syndrome. We the battered spouse. And so, you know, we want to love everybody that looks like us. We just want to, you know, have unity. And so we can't bring ourselves to acknowledge 
that this person, we're in an abusive relationship and this person is abusing me. And so, yeah, that, that is a mental illness that we need to get over. That is a mental illness that is allowing, uh, these weapons to, to, you know, rain destruction down on our heads unopposed. And I, you know, my conscience will not allow me to do that. Yeah, I just can't because it doesn't seem logical to ignore them. I don't care what their skin color is. All I know is the flag that they're working for and what that flag represents to non-white people, particularly in the, well, not even particularly to the United States, but globally, globally, all the death, destruction, genocide, murder, raping, pillaging that has gone under that flag. So uh, I do believe we might have our guest uh, on the line. Uh, do we have you on the line, Mr. Perkins? Hello, Hello. Mr. Perkins? Yes. Okay. You you know what I did? I made a, mist- a, a mistake. I forgot to call into the conference line for those people who are away from their computers. If you wouldn't mind, could you hold on while I get us dialed into there? Okay. All right. I certainly appreciate you, sir, uh, coming on and speaking with us today. Um, I think this topic is uh, very important that you uh, breach in your video about, you know, what what this uh, actor, this black actor, Anthony uh, Mackey, Mackey uh, says. So give us just a couple of minutes. I'll go okay. ahead and, and get dialed in. Get us hooked up. This service is provided in high definition by free conference call HD.com. Please enter your access code followed by the pound. This menu will repeat. See, we already got people uh, dialed in waiting for me. I'm sorry about that. Let me see. You're good. Access code accepted. This conference is being recorded. Q&A session started. Okay, apologies to those who are who are waiting on the conference line. I missed that somehow in my pre-show check. Uh Mr. Mr. uh Perkins, it's good to speak to you again, man. How long has it been? The first time I got to talk to you uh over the phone was uh on New Abolitionist Radio where we were talking about 21st century yep. slavery and human trafficking. How long has that been, bro? Man, it's been some years now, man. At least two. At least two years. It feel like it's been at least two years. It might be three years because Max Parthis was telling me you were our first guest on New Abolitionist Radio. So that was like three years ago, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Yeah, we should have been a while. We should have been had you back, bro. I'm sorry about that. All right, let's get into the meat of of you know why I invited you on the program. I told people and I linked to to your video, your passionate critique on the commentary of Anthony, Anthony Mackey, uh, where he's blaming racial profiling, it seems, on, on dreadlocks in a conversation he was having with a nephew, I believe. And again, for the listeners, if you want to check out uh, Mr. Perkins' uh, YouTube channel, it is The Revolutionary with the Tattoos. And we have posted that for you, and it also be in the pod, on the podcast blog. So, bro, uh, Mr. Mackey had you going off man and i would say rightly so uh, about his commentary so um if you would like to just you know take it from here man tell us why did you get so angry uh, with this guy and you know or with the comments that he made well what what angers me the most is it's kind of like i'm 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 getting fed up with 
the amount of, you know, what's supposed to be these black entertainers that have the opportunity to come out here and deal with, that are answer questions on a large scale. Um, but they go to these white media sites, and it seems that they just, you know, they say these, I mean, I don't, I don't know if your show is cool with the word coon or not. Uh, know, we try to check. stay, we try to, you know, I don't try to tell people what language they should use, but we do try to stay away from okay. a name calling. That's that why language. I came up with the term proxy racist because they're, okay. because that describes, if I can describe that for you, that describes that white people are the, you know, primary problem. He's acting as a proxy for yeah. white supremacists. So that, I prefer to call him a proxy. We'll call him a proxy. I will do proxy. These, these, well, it seems like that a lot of the black entertainers are these proxies, and they have the opportunities to say deep things, but they they tend to stick with saying things that make the people that are the victim in this situation, which is black people, they'll try to demonize or even criminalize everything about our image. Mm-hmm. Had you know, you know, like say let's. For example, there are some even white people that have locks. So for us to make it about locks, it doesn't even make sense because white people with locks aren't facing the prejudice nor facing the profiling from the police. It's about the skin color. And I feel like once we get away from that, once we start talking about how black people dress and once we start talking about how black people talk, then we're getting away from the issue as it being us just being black people. It doesn't matter what you have on. It doesn't matter what your hair is like. And for him to say that people with locks are the people on the first floor, they, I know full-blown thugs with 360 waves. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how, you know, automatically if you have locks, then, you know, you get this negative stereotype with you because there are different types of criminals of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And of all kinds of things, to be a black man and say that, it just blew my mind, man. It upsets me that so many people saying that, and there's so many black people agreeing to it. It, it, it. It's killing me right now. Now, the griot, uh, he actually made these comments to the griot. Now, the griot, um, it has, it, it's targeting black people, but if I'm not mistaken, it's actually owned by a white corporation. Of course. Yeah. But but the comments were made to the griot and, and the griot. Let me just read his comments. I was unable somehow the video isn't working on. Um, it isn't working on the griot. So I'll just read his his quote. He says that like my nephew wanted to grow dreadlocks. I'm like, fine, I'll sit you down and I'll watch the first 48 with you and everybody you see on that show that's doing something wrong. They're black dudes with dreadlocks. So do you want to be seen as part of the problem or do you want to be an individual? Let's just say you have locks and you're walking down the street. The police pull you over and you fit the description of somebody. You start yelling and arguing with the cops. Next thing you know, you pressed up against the wall going to jail for something you're not even involved in just because you look like somebody and you don't know how to handle yourself. Your thoughts? Again, for him to say, because it seems like they forget the history, man. And that's what makes me, that's what really burns me up on the inside, is because you forget the history of police brutality. It's never been about dreadlocks. It's not, not, not at any point has a racist uh, system been about how our hair was. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, throughout history, we've had different hairstyles. It didn't matter what the hairstyle was, we were still profiled based on skin color. Mm-hmm. And for you to say every person on the first wave, I don't watch the show. But I would assume that that's a, that's a statement that's not true. Like, there's no way that every person on the first 48 has dreadlocks. There's, there's no way that that's true. Let me true refresh your memory. Opinion. Let me refresh your memory, uh, um, Ayanna Jones. Remember Ayanna Jones, little seven-year-old that was shot in the head by uh, Joseph Weekly, the uh, former Detroit squad team member? Remember uh-huh. that? Yes. First 48 was the program that was filming the entire thing. And that and that man was a cop. Right. Yeah, Joseph Weekly was the cop who shot Ayanna Jones in the head after they, you know, threw in, uh, you know, these grenades through the window, which landed on little Ayanna Jones, who was sleeping on the couch, set her on fire. Then Joseph Weekly busts through the door and uh, shoots her in the head and then lied and, and tried to say the grandmother uh, grabbed his weapon, causing it to discharge. And, you know, they did a gunpowder residue test on her and found that, no, she didn't have, it was no way possible. But, of course, the system let this cop get away, too. Um, So, yeah, that's the show he's talking about. He's talking about shows like that's the first 48. Uh, Then, of course, we know cops is out there. And, and, yeah, all of these pro-cop shows to show these, you know, quote-unquote warriors for, you know, white supremacy is what I call them. Exactly. That's exactly what they are. So that's, that's, that's the I'm show saying. he's talking about, Robert. I don't, I don't know why, I don't know how he could say that. Still, with the, with the, with the tension out here right now, with it, as much and as often as black men are being not just locked, he's talking about getting locked up for some mistaken identity. That's not even, the, I mean, that's not really, I mean, that's bad, but that's not the issue. Black men are being murdered. Mm-hmm. Black men are being killed. Black, you know, we lose sons, fathers. They're being killed. Eric Garner, no locks. No locks on that man at all. The the people that are facing, the people that, are, that have been murdered, they didn't have locks. So for him to make that argument, right. for him to make that statement is ridiculous to me because the people that are actually being killed by the police, they don't have locks. Mm-hmm. So I, think, argument, I think John Crawford III, I think John Crawford III was growing locks if that yeah, was, he was a, yeah, that was short. Yeah, yeah. They, and I'm short. sure some people with locks have been killed, but most of the yeah. ones that's been in the media have yeah. not. You know, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, exactly. uh, you mentioned Eric Gardner, um, high-profile cases. None of those guys had locks. None. So I don't understand. The relevance of his comments make no sense because it's about the color of your skin. Now, I, I mean, he, he made a point. I mean, some people would say he made a point where you don't agitate the police or whatever like that, which is cool. But if you come up on me and I know I ain't did nothing, then you're supposed to stand on the right that you didn't do anything Where's your, you know, where's your paper that to, for you to be harassing me this way? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's almost like we have to sacrifice our rights as men, sacrifice everything that we look like, you know, cut all your hair off, shave all your facial hair off, you know, put on a suit every day, and maybe, just maybe, you can escape racial profiling there. But even that's not true. We've worn suits before. That didn't stop the police from beating us. So, again, these, these people that get these opportunities, these entertainers that get these opportunities are not representing or not one that I mentioned in the history, and but they're not representing the people the way I feel they should be. And that's what gets me. That's what fires me up. 
Right. Because that doesn't make any sense to do that. And I feel like he is projecting a stereotype. Well, first of all, let me say this. Let me say this. Perhaps he should stop watching these shows because these shows do have, does have the intent to criminalize black people. Now they'll show some, you know, some uh, white boys as well, you know, but the intent is to, to criminalize, you know, black people. And so perhaps he is a victim of that propaganda, propaganda pro- yeah, exactly. programming. And I feel like in his commentary, he's even projecting stereotypes. You start yelling and arguing with the cops and look, I've been stopped as a black man, male. I'm look, I'm 48 years old. Okay. I've been stopped numerous times, you know, traveling across this country and I have never, I always, yes, officer, no officer. May I ask you why you're stopping me, officer? You know what I'm saying? To, to, yeah, and that's to, how most people do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he's projecting, he's projecting in, in his commentary uh, a stereotype that, oh, we're just a bunch of belligerent people who do yes. not know how to act when cops stop us. And that's nowhere near true. And that's, but, that's, but that's the popular, you know, black people don't know how to act. Black people don't know how to act, so they deserve. So the propaganda is working. You know, it's working. Even, I mean, it's, again, seeing black people agree with this, everybody should have, you know, you know when, like, everybody should disagree with him. Now, you have white people in there, of course, they were agreeing with him. You know, of course, they're going to agree because they believe the same propaganda that he's fallen victim to. But with him being a black man, I'm sure he has black men in his family that have been stopped by cops because we've all been stopped at some point or another. You know, even with traffic stops and things of that nature, he can't say to everybody every time he's, he's been stopped or another black man has been stopped, they were belligerent. I have an audio. I have an audio clip I'm going to play of him. Uh, he's giving an interview. Again, I couldn't get... The uh, interview with the griot um, where, you know, he made these comments, but, you know, I didn't change his words or anything like that. I've read it as it was quoted. Um, and again, I linked to the griot.com article where uh, they are saying it's wrong for Mr. Mackey to be saying that, you know, this reporter, this black journalist took his words out of context or misled him to think that the commentary was off the record, so to speak. You know, so that tells me right then, you know, sometimes he's engaging in deception. Oh, I'll say this on camera, but this is what I really feel behind the exactly. scenes so who, who what are he what kind of image of himself is he trying to project and who is he trying to project that image to exactly being that he works in hollywood i have to say he's trying to come off as a non-threatening negro exactly. so that he can continue to get work and get hired by people like yeah. kevin costner for this film uh black and white that uh he stars in now so um, he was even in Selma. Like it, it, it's, it's crazy. Like it's crazy. How you gonna be in a film about civil, the civil rights movement? You saw those black people were, you know, were no locks out there. Yeah. I ain't gonna say wasn't no locks out there. Could have been some locks out there, but these were even Marshall and Martin Luther King, religious people, peaceful people, still being brutalized by the cops. So how can you star in a film like that, that type of historical film, and still say these things? Like that, that's what I mean. I don't understand these people, man. It's a, I feel like it, you know, of course, I don't know what's really in his heart. So all we can do is speculate off of what he says. But, um, I mean, again, if, if I'm, if I'm, before I make some statements like that or even agree with that, we need to ask ourselves, is that logical? Is that logical? Is that truthful? I mean, is everybody, you know, the questions that you asked in your video, did Eric Gardner have locks? 
Okay, so then that tells me, did Tamir Rice have locks? Did Michael Brown have locks? So apparently, you know, based off of that right there, that that evidence right there would lead me to say, well, it must not be about dreadlocks. Exactly. I don't know how he, he couldn't have missed it. There's no way he missed the pictures. I mean, it, it was on, like you said, it was on the map. This is the media. They got the pictures that none of them had locks. So how how do you even make that, that comment? Like, that's... It's mind-blowing to me, man. But I feel like we have to make ourselves the enemy no matter what. Before that, they were talking about the way we dress. Locks, and now it's coming to locks. Was the way we dress, that was too much. That's that's a reason for us to be killed. And then, okay, the way we talk, that's now the way we wear our hair. You know, we're making, our, we're making ourselves, you know, the criminals, and even when we're not breaking the law. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. Now, now and you that's mentioned... why when these people out here representing us, I, 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 I disagree with them completely. Now, you mentioned that he starred in Selma, and, you know, they said that the Oscars uh, were, was the Oscar nominations were the whitest that the Oscars have ever been since 19, I think 79 is what uh, this, this media professor had told me on an interview I did with her, that this is the whitest Oscars ever. And Selma was snubbed. The film was, was snubbed. And so Mackie was asked about it, and he made excuses for these white people this is what he said people are just tired of being bombarded with race right now sounds like, like, like an it's excuse. our fault that it's an issue yeah like you know like like it's our fault that it's an issue that people are tired of being and the movie wasn't really a racist movie it's a fact of the matter that they were racist during that time like that's not you know that that's the scene that's the that's the time period the movie was made in Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with it. I mean, the fact that they were racist then and still racist now should be the issue, not people being tired of dealing with it because that's history. You know, how are you going to be tired of dealing with history? How do you how do you get tired of that? And for you to be a black man, you come out here and say people are tired of that. We're tired of living it. So, you know, people being tired of talking about it doesn't even make sense. We have to live that life. Again, he, as a black man, should know this. But, again, they make excuses for them. They, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. How do you make excuses for that? We live this. It's not by choice, but we have – this is the life that we live in right now. It's still history. Racism still exists. That's not our fault. That's the people who are in control. So why are, you, why are you not making your arguments versus them as opposed to versus black people? You see what I'm saying? Or blame, uh, what's called victim blaming, blaming exactly. us. I, you know, I subscribe it to – to like the the battered spouse syndrome okay if yeah. i just had dinner cooked on time when he got off of work or she got off of work if 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 i just talk right if i just dress sexy enough and and, and if i'll just change my behavior then maybe he won't beat me that's what it sounds like to me is we're making that's excuses exactly for is. our abuser that's exactly what it is and for him to be but he but he making money with the abuser so it, it, I'm, I'm thinking it's possibly that he just it, it, maybe he can't come out and speak like that because a lot of these people will sell out for money. I mean that's basically all it is to it. They will sell out for money. That's what these that's what a lot of black entertainers do. And I, I would say most if not all of them that's what they do. They sell out for money. So for him to come in and make excuses for the Oscars being you know uh, being snubbed in the Oscars this is you that's you you are actor you should feel passionately about being snubbed instead of making excuses more passionately than I would feel for because I'm not an actor. You see what I'm saying? Like He should feel more passionately about that than, than even one of us could, but he can't even do that. 
he can't even do that in the face of his oppressor because he knows who's writing his checks. It's true. I'm I'm gonna play. Um, I'm gonna take a break, a short station identification break, and when we come back. I'm going to play the interview um, that he recently gave about the film Black and White, in which he portrays a black lawyer representing a white grandfather played by Kevin Costner. Um, I suspect uh, Kevin Costner also produced this film, executive producer. He's a big time, you know, uh, uh, person in Hollywood. And I think it gives us more insight into the mind of uh, Mr. Anthony Mackie. Uh, you're listening to Black Talk Radio. This is the Live Drive at 5. My name is Scotty Reed. Uh, this program airs every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're going to take a short break. Please stay tuned. We will be right back to continue our conversation with Mr. Perkins. Uh, if you have any comments, any questions you would like to ask or share, uh, please give us a call, 530-881-1400. Access code 549032-POUND and hit star six. Wait for the lady to prompt you and hit number one. And that'll buzz me and I'll get your commentary. Um, we'll be right back. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Who got me? Real radio do? Oh, Alright, let's Headlight, I can't sleep. I toss it, turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls closing in, getting bigger. I'm paranoid, sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always stressing I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back. I want to go ahead and play this clip. Uh, the title of this clip is Black or White. That's the name of the film that Mr. Mackey stars in. And um, they titled it, Anthony Mackey Gets Passionate on Race. Girl's life we're talking about. You know what, Rowena? You petitioned for custody. Louise needs more love than just what her grandfather can give her. What she needs is stability, especially now since she's lost her grandmother. <clears throat> One of her grandmothers. Alex Evans, left. What? What? Yo, Dreamy Black. What's up, there we go. Wow, what you doing? Them ghetto Pilates? Dang, I mean, you in it, huh? Wait, ghetto Pilates? I said, Jaheem, you know. Tighten up my body, working on my ghetto Pilates. You don't listen to Jaheim? Oh, come on, Jaheim. That's the hood Al Green. I love Jaheim. I don't even want to talk about this film now. I just want to let this go on forever. Uh, Okay. Go ahead. Speaking of hood. (laughs) Okay, I want to cut right to it, Anthony, because you have one of the most cutting lines in Mm -hmm. this whole film, and I wrote it down so I can get it word for word. You're a goddamn cliche. You validate everything the white community thinks. Right. And that line is the reason I did the movie. Seriously. 100%. Please expand. Tell you me have two this. lines in this movie that are extremely important. You're a goddamn cliche. You validate what white people think. And it's not your first thought that makes you a racist. It's your second, your third, and your fourth. Those two lines, I feel, are the lines that everyone is stepping around and no one wants to talk about. I want to talk about it. And Let's that's talk what about that's it. what frustrates me. We're at a we're in a position now in society in this country where no one wants to listen. The smartest person in a conversation is the person 
who listens. So when you talk about black or white, when you talk about race, when you talk about sexism, when you talk about homophobia, I think the most interesting perspective is to sit back and just let that person talk because there's nothing I can add to that perspective. And the great thing about this movie is you get the white perspective. You hear what he's thinking. You get the black perspective. You hear what she's thinking. Octavia's dealing with a, a drug-infected son. He's dealing with the loss of his wife and alcoholism. Those are two huge topics Real that are issues. colliding mm -hmm. with this little girl. Right. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating to me that people take race and they make it personal. You know what I mean? Like we're we're at a we're at a loss in this generation. If you look at in the eighties, Archie Bunker was a stark racist. Stark. If you don't know Archie Bunker, look him up. All in the family. Great show. The Jeffersons, stark racist. Fred Sanford, stark racist. But you know what black people and white people did? They laughed. You watch forty eight hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Both of them hated each other because he was black and because he was white. You know what they did? They laughed. And right now, we are in a society where we can't have a conversation because no one's willing to listen. People are just shouting. People are just what shouting. People are walking down the street, hashtagging everything, but no one's listening. No one, white people, I, I truly believe white people don't have an outlet to express or question their views on race. Because black people get too defensive about it or because... Because, one... Because it is personal to some I don't, people. No, I it's, mean, it's, it's a real thing. It's very yeah. personal. But mm -hmm. the reality is this. If you're ignorant about something and you can't ask me a question so you're not ignorant, how do you get better? Fair. So if you come to me and you're yelling, oh, I hate black people because of A, B, C, and D, mm -hmm. then you're ignorant. Mm -hmm. You're a fool. I can't talk to you. But if you come to me and say, look, like my friends do, look, you know... You're a black dude. I feel like I can talk to you. So I don't understand A, B, C, and D. Right. And we have those conversations. We have talk. a glass of wicked whiskey and we have, because I do the same thing about white people, Asian people, and Latino people. Look, mm -hmm. I really don't understand right. why. And I think this yeah. film, it does a lot of, you know, the whole issue of like, are we coddling these kids like Reggie in the film who, right. yes, the system is against them, right. but they also do bad behavior and, that breed and stereotypes. that's why it's important. You know. That's why it's important to have that conversation. No one wants to talk about perception when it comes to racial profiling. No one wants to talk about stereotypes when it comes to racial profiling. This is what I know. I'm a certified scuba diver. My first day of class, they told me this. When you're in shark-infested waters, everything in that water is considered a threat until proven otherwise. If it's a guppy, it could be a shark until you know it's a guppy. And I think as black men, we need to realize we're in shark-infested waters. And if we don't sit our young men down and we don't talk to them about perception, if we don't talk to them about stereotypes, we're doing them a huge disservice. Because if the police pull me over, prime example, I got pulled over by the police, come over to my window, flashes light in my face, hand on my pistol. I can handle that two ways. I can start yelling and screaming and tell him he's a racist and he don't know me. Ah, you doing this wrong. Or I can say, yes, officer. No officer, are we done, officer? And both of them are going to have drastically different outcomes. Because. All right, uh, I cut that interview short, but I um, linked to the rest of it. It's about maybe a minute or two. I didn't think it was relevant to what we were discussing. Uh, first, I want to go to um, our guest, uh, Mr. Perkins. Mr. Perkins, uh, were you able to hear that okay? Yes. And I your heard thoughts? It okay. Your thoughts? Well, see, again, I feel like he had a small point. 
because a lot of times people have small points. For us to say, well, even this last point, which is the biggest one to me, dealing with us being in shark-infested water. Well, the only way that the water is shark-infested is because of the shark. It's not our ignorance. It's the shark. I mean, you know, it, it, it would be the shark infested. It would be the people that are looking at us a certain type of way. The predators. Based on, yeah, exactly. Like based on, even, they, even though they know that every black person is an criminal. That's a ridiculous statement to make. Every black person is a threat. That's a ridiculous statement to make. And for me to have to live my life like this white person perceives me that way, so I have to prove to him that I'm not that way, is, you know, BS. I'll say, I won't don't, I don't cut on your show. That's, that's BS. Because I shouldn't have to prove that to you. Logically, every black person isn't violent, every black person isn't belligerent, every black person is not a criminal, every black person is not out to rob, steal, kick, every black person logically is not like that. So why do I have to prove myself to them? Why doesn't the shark have to prove, you know, why doesn't, the, you know, I, I'll, I'll just go, I won't use this analogy, I'll say why doesn't the white person have to prove himself to me? Why does it me to have to prove myself to him? You see, if that, if that makes sense, like why do I have to do that? Why do I have to live that life? He doesn't have to do that for me at all. He gets to be himself. Yeah, to show me he isn't a threat, given that, you know, thousands, if if we include everyone and not just black people, even though we are the uh, primary victims, the most victims, but if we look at statistical data, I mean, it's averaging in the past two years about a thousand people getting killed by cops. So why doesn't the cop have to show me he's not a threat? Exactly, which is a point I made in my video. I say, well, now based on how they use propaganda, is it safe to say that cops are a threat? Because based on what we're seeing, since that's how everybody judges us, and then, and then they want to give us all your well, there are good cops. Why don't nobody say that about black folks? And nobody's saying that. When cops do wrong, we have to hear the good cop argument. We can't believe that all cops are like this. Most of them aren't like that. Well, we don't get that service as a people. We don't get that service. Even though it's been shown and proven that we aren't all a certain way, the cops don't have to deal with that service because they have authority behind them. Well, quote unquote authority behind them. We don't get that, that benefit of the doubt that the good black person or, or, you know, we don't get that. No one is making that argument for us. We just get, well, we have to show that we are, you know, worthy of not being killed. We have to show that we are worthy of respect. And to me, the fact that we have been here for this long isn't enough to prove to you that everybody can't be stopped. I mean, everybody can't be criminal based on statistical data. That's impossible. We have lawyers, doctors, you know, wives, husbands, people that are, you know, great citizens to the society, taxpayers, right? Based on just the fact that we've been here for this long and, and every encounter with a black person, between a black person and a white person, there's not a black person robbing them, this other white person. That's not, we don't do that exclusively. But they try to criminalize our image, then we have to turn around and prove to them that we are good enough for their respect. And I don't, I don't like that perspective that we have. A lot of black people will have that. Well, if we just act better. Well, I am acting better. I, I, when I see a stop by the cops, I'm not about to... I'm not going to start cussing them out or anything. We do act better already. It's just the fact that we get the, you know, they put the negative images out here and it's automatically assumed that 
all black people act a certain way. We already know what we're supposed to do. Yeah, they'll highlight they'll highlight the few cases where maybe a black person is acting incorrectly and yeah. then subscribe that to the rest of us. Like, well, exactly. they must all be doing it. I mean, it's racist are, programming. You know, and we, and we do it to ourselves because we promote this image. And that's one of the things that I do hold black people responsible for promoting this garbage. We support it. We watch it. We love it. But we don't know where the image is coming from. We stop supporting this stuff. It disappears. When that's, you say, Mr. Perkins, when you say supporting it, do you mean like the gangster rap images that white people that control these music corporations make sure they put out? From they, gangster rap to reality shows to to uh, things like uh, outlets like World Star, we support and share and spread this information amongst each other. Of course, white folks see it. They're sharing. Look at these animals. Look at you know. This is how they are. Of course, they see it. But if we stop supporting these things, mm-hmm. if we be vocal about how we don't support these things, these images will have to stop because okay, we're not watching it no more. We're not even. We're not watching that. We don't support that. We're about something completely different. But we won't do that because we like the quote unquote entertainment of it. But I'm not entertained by it personally. But black folks like the entertainment of it. We don't know how we're, 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 you know, kind of proving that our image, even to ourselves, isn't something that's important because we support this art. Mm-hmm. We're susceptible just like anybody else to the exactly. racial pro- programming. I mean, I have black people that think I'm a thug or, you know, just like a white person would. It's no different, but they got the same programming. We're watching the same TV. Listen, and it's the same music. And you have black people that will act like, you know, well, you got tattoos. How much, how long, have, how, much, how many times have you been in jail? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll have that, that same, you're looking through the eyes of, of your oppressor because they programmed you to think about your own people the same way they think about your people from the images that they put out here. Mm-hmm. And these are black folks. It's black people that are scared of black people just like white people are scared of black people like that. They'll profile you. They'll stereotype you, too. Mm-hmm. So we're all victims. Unless your mind is clear, unless you're conscious, unless you're logical, and you know that all people don't act this way, we're all victims of this garbage. Mm-hmm. I, Anthony Mackey, no I took, I've taken notes on, on what he had to say. I have, like, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, points just off of that interview he gave about black and white. But first, I'm going to go to the telephone line. I, I believe this is my brother and uh, new abolitionist comrade, Max Parthas. Is that you, Max? Peace, Brother Scotty. Uh, peace, Brother Robert. What's happening, man? It's been a, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It has been. You know, I'm a big fan of yours, and I always have been. Uh, I, I love your freedom. I mean, you express yourself the way you want to express yourself. And you don't give a damn about political correctness. You just say it straight up. And that's the type of people I like to surround myself with because you normally get the truth from that. We keep it simple. You know what I mean? It's not all yeah. too detailed. It's pretty much to the point. Are you a Sagittarius by any chance? Me? Yes. I'm an Aries. An Aries. Oh, okay. All right. Just, just curious. Um, I was listening to the conversation, uh, and I also uh, I think I originally shared the video with Scotty Reed. And from my perspective, yes, you did, Max. From my perspective, I often see these uh, brothers and sisters out there practicing proxy racism, 
as really more victims than the ones who are aware of what's going on. You know, because they don't even own their own mind. They literally believe what they're saying. And they will fight to the death sometimes to defend their right to say that. And uh, it, to children, when you're raising children, I raised 10 children, you know what I mean? The last thing you want to be telling them is that they are the problem, <laughs> you know? Exactly. That just by being who you are, just the color of your skin, just the place you live in makes you the problem. So you have to change that continuously to pretend to be something you are not. This is why... This is why uh, black people and a lot of non-white people as well walking around with post-traumatic stress disorder. It's because they're constantly under pressure from racism, which I understand last year, I think, is uh, when the DSM, um, you know, the uh, psychological dictionary for psychiatry or something where they listed, you know, uh, racism as, you know, can cause post-traumatic stress disorder like you see in soldiers coming back from a war zone. And like yeah. I always say, we live behind enemy lines. This is a war zone for us. Yeah, we don't kind of pay too much attention to psychological warfare as we should, where that is something that affects us from cradle to grave, from the first little toys that you're playing with as a little child, which often has some kind of racial overtone to the day you die and you've been led to believe things that are simply not true and are illogical as brother robert said they they're logical fallacies people's lives are built on logical fallacies which makes no sense at all it's hard to even deal with them and i try to have some compassion but i don't have too much to be honest with you i don't know about you brothers but it's hard for me to have too much compassion because of what scotty said earlier they're hurting us it's not like you know they're being indifferent they're literally hurting us exactly and that's why and that's what makes me you know that's what makes me mad because it's not like that's a small thing like we're, we're being murdered out here you know we're being absolutely being murdered and it's like you know no one really is is like it's nothing to people like it's not about a white person looking at me and thinking oh he's a nigger you know that's not that that doesn't bother me you know but it's like i'm if you have put that man with a blue suit on a match and he decides to rough me up, and I have to stand there and take it, and, or he'll kill me, then this is where the issue is because we put authority behind that racist mentality. We give them that authority, or they're granted that authority, and that's what's scary. That's what the problem is out here. Then the other thing I think it does, too, is when you look at it, the criminal justice system. Well, again, you know, these are the, these are the type of non-white people that will sit up on a jury and sentence someone to prison without any evidence based on just how they look because they've been programmed with these racist images about quote-unquote thugs or, you know, uh, criminals and, and just, you know, the whole nine yards. And, and again, this is a psychological operation that has been going on for probably since they first printed the first newspaper in this country. Absolutely. If I might add, and I do have one question, and I'm going to leave you brothers alone because I really want to hear what you have to say. But I remember in the Chris Kyle interview, there was he was being compared to some of the guys that go out and shoot children and stuff like that because uh, he didn't actually do that in the movie. Uh, that was all false. Talking about he American said, Sniper? Yeah, American Sniper. He said uh, at one point, those are the guys that will do anything they're told. Well, see, that's who we're talking about here in, in uh, black America. These are the guys and girls who will do anything they're told. 
And uh, it's a psychological warfare that has changed their mindset and their perception. Now, we often, as abolitionists, we feel that, you know, the biggest problem is legalized slavery, that that empowers people to enact things that are involved in legalized slavery. They, you, if you wonder why a cop acts like a slave catcher, it's because slavery is still going on. That's why exactly. he feels empowered to, to do those things. So my question for you is, what would you think, outside of abolishing the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, what would you think would be one of the most important facets we should focus on in order to end that system of legalized slavery? Me personally, I feel like we have to look at the actual system that put that in place first of all. See, there's no way to check racist intention, really. I think that's the hardest thing about, you know, rewriting some of these what would be laws that that are placed against. There's no way to really prove that they have racist intention. And that's going to be that. I think that is the hardest, that's going to be the hardest thing for us to do is to prove that, okay, not only is, you know, to actually prove that the system is racist, because no one really wants to deal, we deal with the cops, you know, we'll say, well, the cops is racist, well, the entire system is racist. But no one wants to deal with that. They want to act like, you know, we make it up, we just like to play the quote-unquote race card, which is ridiculous to me. But to, to have something that would, you know, I guess a plan that would kind of break down the system for what it is and have, you know, people confess. Really, we really need a confession. We really need a full confession of, okay, they're right, basically. Which, that's what makes it so hard because ain't nobody going to confess to it. White folks, I mean, white, the system itself, they're not going to confess to their prejudice and their profiling. They're not going to come out here and do that. So it makes it a really, really hard, you know, for us. It's a hard situation because we see it. We black people, we see this, but to get to other people to see it and understand it is the hardest thing because everyone acts like we're just playing some type of card, and we're, we're not playing the card. We've been dealt the card. We have no choice. You see what I'm saying? So I think to 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 get other people to see what we see, that's our hardest. You know, that's that's the hardest mountain that we have to climb here is to get everyone else down for okay equal rights because we. When we do equal rights, gay folks, you know, they're they still working their way, but they're getting theirs, but we're not getting ours because no one wants to deal with it. We can say that women are getting paid less wages than a man. Everybody agrees. Yes, that's true. The women will agree to that. And gay people should be allowed to get married. That's a, that's a right that everyone should have equality. Yes, people will agree to that. But black people being a victim of a system that has been placed against them, we can't get a unanimous decision on that or even a majority decision on that. And that's going to be what we have to tackle as, as abolitionists such as, you know, me, uh, you, uh, all of us, our children. We're going to have to teach our children to be able to show what we're saying and get people to actually listen to what we're saying and see that this is a problem and it's something that is wrong. Maybe uh Citizens United, the ruling could work in our favor where we could hold the system responsible as a person <clears throat> since it is a corporation, and then we could send it to Texas to be executed. Racist ass, Texas. Exactly. I appreciate your answer and your time, my brothers. I'm going to sit back and listen. And All right. Thanks, Max.
Q&A queue is cleared. All right. Uh, um, I want to tackle right quick um, the notes um, because I, I've just learned it helps me better to understand things when I take notes on it. Um, and so while we were listening to that interview that uh, Mr. Mackey was giving, I was taking notes. And, and here is a couple of things I picked up on that um, this film, this film. Now, counter racist, we've been having this discussion and it's being put out there that it's a problem with these white people adopting these black kids and non-white kids. Um, the other day, I made some Facebook posts about uh, organ um trafficking in this country and posted a number of stories where these kids these these african kids directly from africa um you know or even here in america have been sexually abused being adopted to be used as sex toys um to kill and to take their organs um this is a huge problem uh uh, in this country and and so you know that's what that film kind of represents to me is is you know the theft of black children you know i don't think white people people can call this racist however take it however you want it i'm all about speaking my mind and 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 being blunt but i think that a white person has no business raising a non-white person because that is going to confuse that child and that child is not going to be prepared to deal with racism when he goes out there in the world because his parents are not going to be honest with him or her about racism or how it works. Okay. They, they're going to, you know, just try to make everything seem like, you know, with rose glasses. They're going to have these children looking at the world with rose glasses. I don't think they're going to be honest with these children about racism. Their intentions may be good, but I don't think that they should be raising these kids because I think that they will handicap uh, those children to deal with the real world. Um, so there's a number of issues there. I think that is what this film is promoting. Um, you know, we can look back in history with um, um, non-white people uh, adopting uh, black children, Native American children, stripping them of their identity, stripping them of their culture. Okay. Now, um, another thing I picked up, that he felt like racism is a laughing matter. Um, yeah, watch Archie Bunker, watch George Jefferson, uh, watch Fred Sanford. Yeah, like, you know, like, like, and people laughed about it. Well, you know what? Uh, that's TV, and I don't feel like racism is a laughing matter. I don't think that we're going to be helped therapeutically by watching Archie Bunker or watching, no, no, making more comedies, situational comedies or sitcoms about racism and, and whatnot that's not really getting into you know really only just going for the laughs really it's not really trying to solve the problem or help people to understand the problem of racism and uh so yeah i mean you got any thoughts on that i, I mean i completely agree i mean i think that we what 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 black people have the ability to do and what i think is one of our biggest problems is that we laugh too much everything is comedy Everything is funny until it gets real. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're, we're living in a situation. This isn't real. This isn't a, you know, a, you know, a comedian or whatever like they're going to tell a story that may be a funny story. Well, this is life for us. This isn't a funny story. This isn't a, a, an anecdote by a comedian. This is life. People are really losing their lives based on the problem that we have in this country with racism and propaganda. And, and for us 
to, and for him to say that, and again, another illogical argument that he's making. And I don't, I don't, I disagree completely with that because it's not a funny, it's not a laughing matter. I understand people need to laugh and, and you know be light and things of that nature, but when it comes to murdering and the profile and the reality of the systematic racism that's in this country, that is no laughing matter. It's been happening for too long for us to still be laughing about. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's not something we should take lightly that way. And that's what I thought he's suggesting, you know, in, in, in his little interview. Or, you know, the commentary, I thought he's suggesting that we just make light of it, be ready to answer white people's questions whenever they want to know about the black culture. And I think that, you know, if we can take our time to learn the culture, we're forced to learn that culture, their culture. There's another problem in this country. That's a whole other conversation. We're forced to learn their culture, but they're not forced to learn ours at all. So we just have to be open and ready for whatever questions they may have to ask when the information is out here if they want to go get the information. I mean, they don't have to ask us. They can just look at the history because it's out here. It's not hiding from anyone. So to make light of that and to say, you know, well, we need to go back and look at these older shows where they made light of racism and everybody laughed, that is, that's BS. Yeah. That's I feel, I, BS. Yeah, I feel like it also desensitizes people. Exactly. You know, to to racism, just like those shows, uh, cops in the first forty-eight, it desensitizes exactly. people to police brutality. So, yeah, like it's you no know, like it's a normal part of the arresting process is for them to be over aggressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, and, and we're the victims all the time. Another thing he he suggested: white people have no outlet for their feelings. I just really? totally thought that was ridiculous. That's, um, that's preposterous. You have to use a word like preposterous for that, for that comment. Mm-hmm. Every outlet is, is white people. Like again, like I said, we learn, we learn their history every day. We are tested on their history. They have every outlet available. They own the media. They own everything. For him to say that again, I don't understand. I don't understand this grown brother that knows what is living out here in this in this world and will still say something that preposterous when they have every, and we don't have the outfit. We don't have the, like, we don't have a Rush Limbaugh or a black version of a Rush Limbaugh or a Fox News. We don't have anything like that. They have every outlet out here available to them to put their information out here and to get whatever propaganda they want. So I don't know how they can say something like that. And then when even you look at independent outlets, you know, um, if you talk about the wrong thing, they will shut you down as blog talk radio uh, shut down the context of white supremacy, which is a program on our network. When they shut me down for suspended me for a week until all the listeners emailed them and told them they better restore my program back. And at that point, I was like, you know, it doesn't feel good to not have an outlet to speak my mind and to say what I truly feel or to analyze these issues and disseminate information. And so, you know, that's why I started the Black Talk Media Project, and that is why uh, the Black Talk Radio Network exists. So for him to say that white people have no outlet to really express their feelings or to ask questions about uh, racism, I, I just feel like that's incorrect. And then, you know, I also kind of felt like he was saying that, Black people get emotional and act irrational whenever a white person says something that that's, you know, like we don't want, you know, to have these conversations. But that kind of leads me to my next point, though, that I picked up. You know, he said he blamed it mostly on ignorance. 
And, you know, one of the things that's often said on the uh, program, the context of white supremacy, white people are not ignorant about racism. It's impossible for them to be ignorant about racism. They like to ignore it a lot of times because they don't have to deal with it. But they know what's happening. It just doesn't affect their families, so they don't care about it. It doesn't affect their livelihood, so they don't care about it. It's not that they don't know. It's absolutely that they don't know what's happening out here because, again, a lot of these stories are covered in the mass media. A lot of the stories are covered in the mass media. So they see who the victims are. They see, you know, they talk in their little groups. You know, they have their dialect. So, you know, or they have their dialogue. So they know what's going on. They just don't have to deal with it because it doesn't affect them directly. So they can completely ignore it. They know what's happening. I don't think white people are completely ignorant. To what's happening, I think they choose to be because it's not affecting them. In terms of out going back to outlets, I don't think that Fox News produces the racist the racist propaganda that they produce because they're ignorant about what they're doing. That they're ignorant about projecting, know, yeah. you know, these anti-black images or the demonization of black people. Uh, no, I, I don't think they're ignorant about what they're doing. I think that they are fully aware and cognizant of what they're doing, and that is their intent. So to say that acts of racism are out of ignorance to me is just totally I- illogical. You know, you know, like my mom, you know, most mothers and, and parents say, you know, you know at a certain point in your life when you're doing something that's wrong. You know, you know the difference between right and wrong. So to blame, you know, um, acts of racism on ignorance, I believe, is is either deceptive on his part or is ignorant on his part um, as a non-white person. And, and another thing, you know, the last thing I wrote that I'll touch upon, I, I, I really could really break down that video a lot of different ways, but... Um, the, the main thing that stuck out to me is, is what I gather from what he was saying. Black people are to blame for these stereotypes. So we, we talked about the propaganda. So I don't see how black people are to blame for just being black. For just being, what would be, even if we go to thugs, for just being urban. That is a part of the culture. You can't, that's like you blaming white folks for, you know, them wearing whatever, whatever clothing that, you know, what would, what would be white people would wear. How do you blame? You can't blame them for that. We only talk about each other like that. That's a, with urban culture, which would be the black culture, even if a white person grows up in an urban culture, they have a tendency to assimilate to that culture. Their clothes would be a little more baggy. They'll wear the hat. Well, they make people call them wiggers or whatever, but if you grow up in that culture, that's what you want to, and how do you say, well, that's black people's fault. That's just the culture, and there's nothing wrong with our culture, just because it's not there, and it's sort of automatically wrong. And if you have that mentality, and you're a black man with that mentality, I can't imagine what his children are going to think, because he's not going to be able to teach them anything based on what he thinks anyway. I can't imagine what his children are going to think. But when you say, when you say something like that, that is again another example of you being illogical, completely illogical. Well, again, um, like uh, um, I said to uh, Max, yeah, Max made me aware of the video that you produced, and I had to get you on, man, 
you know, because, and I could tell you kind of took that personal because you got dreadlocks. It's like I he, got locked. Yeah. I ain't never disrespected no cops. I ain't never been, nothing, no, nothing's happened to me crazy or anything like that. So how could you say something like that? How could you come out your mouth and say that? Right, right. Well, Mr. Perkins, um, will you tell everyone how they can connect with you through social media, follow your your channels, and, and you know, get your thoughts on, on the things you speak about? You can find me on YouTube. The name of the channel is The Revolutionary with the Tattoos. Um, I'm dropping videos all the time of topics range from, you know, black power to just social issues. You can follow me on there. If you come to YouTube, all the links to everything else to find me will be on there. I appreciate everybody. I appreciate you, brother, for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome, Mr. Perkins. And like I said, man, it's been three years since I last spoke to you. And um, I'm going to make sure that I have you on more. And also, we got to get you back on New Abolitionist Radio, you know, so we can discuss 21st century slavery and human trafficking and, and, and continue to inform the people that this ain't mass incarceration. This is slavery. This isn't a new Jim Crow. This is the same old racist white supremacist system that was erected when this country was incorporated. So <laughs> peace and blessings to you, bro, man. And you stay Thanks, sharp, man. And you stay safe out here. Thank you, brother. You too. All right. Peace. All right, that was um Mr. Robert Perkins again. His YouTube channel is The Revolutionary with the Tattoos, and I have a link to his YouTube video so you can get to his channel from there and subscribe. And you know, I again, I don't know um Anthony Mackey. I don't know what's in this man's heart. I don't know how he was raised or who he was raised by. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know, but he is very, he, he, there's either one or two things. He's either very confused about racism and white supremacy. Okay. And, and we're all, I'm, I'm confused about a lot of things. I'm still learning and whatnot. So we can, we can excuse confusion. All right. We can excuse confusion, but at some point you got to start educating yourself on this and you just can't stay stuck in that racist programming that they have programmed your mind with. Or either you are conscious and you're not confused. But you want to advance in the system and you know what white people, racist suspects and white supremacists want to hear so you can keep getting those roles, you know. And, and so, yeah, people are rewarded. Proxy racists are rewarded, you know, for for engaging in this type of stuff. I, I would hope to think that his comments are just more ignorant than anything but again you know going back to something max has said i wanted to comment on um i made a mental note about is some of these people i don't think we can blame it on ignorance i don't think we can blame it all on illogical thinking some of these people are very educated been to ivy league schools have graduated you know universities what they call institutions of higher learning uh you know, we can get into a debate about what are they really teaching them. And if your enemy, like Malcolm X said, only a fool would allow his enemy to teach his children. And, and so, I mean, we could go off in that direction, but I don't want to blame it all on ignorance and confusion. Cause I think in the case of people like U.S. Attorney Loretta Lynch, she is not ignorant about the impact of the drug war on black communities, but she knows that if she wants to advance in the system of white supremacy, 
that she wants to become the next U.S. Attorney General, that she got to say certain things, even though she knows it's killing. It's literally killing us. It's literally killing black people that look like her. I don't know what her husband looks like. I don't know if she's even married. I don't know if she has any children, but I know she comes from a black mother and a black father. Okay, I know that much. All right. So, you know, I kind of feel like it isn't ignorance on her part, being ignorant about the system. No, I think she is going along with the system, even to the point that she is disagreeing with U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder's position and President Obama's position. Although they too are proxy tools of the racist system, they have at least, you know, acknowledged that there's some racism going on here and this is wrong and we shouldn't be locking up all these people for cannabis and, and I'm going to relax the rules. I'm going to tell the Justice Department to stay out of these states and interfering with state laws where they have legalized cannabis. That's not what I'm hearing from her and I will play um, her interview and I just cannot blame that on ignorance. I have to say that she is a staunch supporter of 21st century slavery and human trafficking as a, a stealth bomber a proxy racist tool for white supremacy and I can't ignore those. Again, I know there are debates among counter racist circles about whether we should ignore these people or we shouldn't you know, attack them or anything like that. Well, I, when I'm attacking a tool of the system, I'm attacking the system. Okay, when I go after a tool of the system, a weapon that is being wielded against me, I'm trying to disable that weapon so it can't be used to destroy me. There's nothing personal about it on my end, nothing personal whatsoever. All right. And we and that's part of the problem is that we make it personal. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. On the other side, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the live drive at five. My name is Scotty Reed. Uh, we broadcast this program right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. support legalization of marijuana? Senator, I do not. Um, I know the um, head of the DEA who's a little bit out of step with some administration I think, agreed with you on that. The president said this in January of last year. Quote, I smoked pot as a kid and as a bad habit and a vice not very difficult from different from the cigarettes that I smoked as a young person up through a big chunk of my adult life. 
I don't think it is more dangerous than alcohol, close quote. Do you agree with that? Well, Senator, um, I certainly don't hold that view uh, and don't agree with that view of marijuana as a substance. Um, I certainly think that the president was speaking from his personal experience and personal opinion, uh, neither of which I'm able to share. Um, but I can tell you that I, not only do I not support legalization of marijuana, it is not the position of the Department of Justice currently to support the legalization, nor would it be the position should I become confirmed as attorney general. Well, I do think there's been a lot of silence there. I know the head of the DEA uh, did push back uh, and testified here pretty aggressively, but I think she felt like she was out of step within the administration. And I hope that you will cease to be silent, because if, if the law enforcement officers don't do this, uh, I don't know who will. And in the past, uh, uh, attorneys generals and other government officials have spoken out, and I think kept bad decisions from being made. Uh, marijuana. There are a lot of states legalizing marijuana for personal consumption. Is it a crime at the federal level to possess marijuana? Marijuana is still a criminal substance under federal law, um, and it is still a crime um, not only to possess but to distribute under federal law. Under the doctrine of preemption, federal law preempt states who are trying to legalize the substance? Senator, I think you raised very important questions about the relation of the federal criminal system with the states um, and, their own, and their ability to regulate criminal law that they also have, because as there is concurrent jurisdiction, and in terms of matters in which citizens of various states have voted. With respect to the marijuana enforcement laws, it is still the policy of the administration and certainly would be my policy, if confirmed as attorney general, to continue enforcing the marijuana laws, particularly with respect to the money laundering aspect of it, um, where, where we see uh, the evidence that marijuana, as I've noticed in cases in my own district, brings with it not only organized crime activity, but great levels of violence. Have you, do you know of Michelle uh, Leonhardt? The DEA administrator? I don't know if I said her name right. She's the administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Have you ever had a discussion with her about her views of legalizing marijuana? Michelle and I have not had that discussion, although we have spoken on any number of other could, could issues. Could you maybe have that discussion and report back to me as to what the results were? Certainly, Senator. I look forward to speaking to not just Ms. Leonard, but with you on this issue. In August 29, 2013, I think uh, Deputy Attorney General James M. Cole advised all U.S. attorneys that enforcing marijuana laws against those that are in compliance with state marijuana laws would not be a priority of the DOJ. Did you get that memo? All U.S. attorneys received that memo, as did I. Do you think that is a good policy? I believe that the Deputy Attorney General's policy seeks to try and work with state systems that have chosen to take admittedly a different approach from the federal government with respect to marijuana and determine the most effective way to still pursue marijuana cases uh, consistent with the states and the choices that they have made. The Deputy Attorney General's policy, as both as I understood it and has been implemented, still requires federal prosecutors to seek prosecution of, of marijuana cases, particularly where we have situations where children are at, at risk, um, where marijuana is crossing state lines, particularly where you have marijuana being trafficked from a state that has chosen a legal framework into a state that has not chosen a legal framework and the attendant harms therein, as well as those who are driving under the influence of this. A great concern, certainly within the department and those of us 
who are looking at these issues is the availability of the edible products um, and the risk of those falling into the hands of children and causing great harm there. If a state is uh, intending to try to legalize uh, personal consumption at a small level of marijuana, what would your advice be to that state? Well, certainly I'm not sure that uh, if, a state, if a state were to reach out to the department for its views, um, and I don't know if that's happened or what advice has been given, but certainly I believe the department would have an obligation to inform them of the current federal status of narcotics laws and the department's position uh, that, that, um, that the federal narcotics laws will still be enforced um, by the Department of Justice. Blade Talk Radio, live drive at five. Scotty Reed in for this broadcast from behind these enemy lines. And, um, yeah, that was um, Loretta Lynch, proxy racist tool of the system. Um, I was taking notes again, but before I go into my notes, I will uh, take this phone call. Uh, area code 216, uh, you're on Black Talk Radio, the loud driving five. Please go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, yes. Hey, how you doing? This is uh, great knowledge. How's it uh, going? I'm just going pretty good. How about, how about you? Oh, I, I'm not going to complain no more than I usually do, you know, because you wouldn't yeah. be the right person to complain to because you can't do anything about it <laughs> at this point. Right. So, yeah, uh, what, what, what you got thoughts on, man? Well, um, I have a couple things. Um, first thing about the proxy, the proxy racism. Um, I mean, the you know the whole or the guest that you had on earlier, he was just right on about everything uh, when it comes to the proxy races. I think that it's it's a huge problem, especially when it comes to uh, dealing with racism in the uh, in the, you know in the everyday workforce in America. You know, you, you get the token Negroes, and they don't even realize that they're uh, token Negroes. You know, um, I've actually uh, recently I, I worked with one, um, much much older, um, same position I am in a non-manager position, but yet thinks that things are, are looking better. And, I, and I'm telling her that, you know, just look at us as people of color. We always get the bottom feeder jobs. You know, and and. And just use excuses and stuff, and and fail to see, you know, what the big problem is. It doesn't you know, sound that, like. Let me just clarify something. It doesn't sound like um, he's practicing proxy racism. It sounds like he's just confused about racism. A proxy racist has to be actively engaged in harming another non-white person for whether that's for a reward or whether. Um, you know, is to move on up in, in the system or whether they're being threatened and coerced uh, against their will to uh, engage in, in, in these activities. So that's what a proxy racist is. They have to be harming. They have to be a tool of the system of white supremacy. Um, but that's, uh -huh. it sounds like your coworker just seems to be confused. <laughs> All right. That's, that's correct. But yeah, I'll, I'll saying about the, you know, the topic at hand, I mean, I mean, I, I can, you know, I, I can kind of see that, but I, I think at the same time that, um, I guess, uh, I forgot the name of this, this actor. Um, Anthony I, I Mackie. That what, it, it, I'm sorry, what was his name? Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I believe that um, his, uh, whatever he's saying is, is uh, dangerous to the black community. It's very dangerous. Uh, is you know talking about the the sharks and and whatnot and, and 
and I, and I just I just view that as just being very very dangerous because because I you know these teenagers are very you know impressionable and uh, I know a lot of teenagers you know they might see and hear this and I think that yeah that that's just the way it is and it's going to confuse them you know uh, unfortunately uh, there's a lot of the uh, black families they really don't teach their, their children about you know racism itself they they only you know, express, you know, comes to terms being called the N-word or, or things of that nature, you know. They, they really don't get in-depth when it comes to what, you know, what defines racism, you know. And that that overall is, is a nationwide uh, problem, especially in, in the black community. Yeah, Prossy, uh, his comments are dangerous in a number of ways. Um, primarily, you will have, you know, white people who, who practice racism will point to an Anthony Mackie and say, see, he gets it. See, you you right. got people within your own community that believe that, right. that you're the problem. So, you know, it it, again, so it presents a number of dangers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you have any thoughts on also, what we heard about, um, um, uh, what's her name, Loretta uh, Lynn? Oh, yes, about what happened last night in Ferguson. No, no, no. I'm talking about Loretta Lynn. I, I want to move on to my next topic because I only have like maybe oh. 30 minutes left. Uh, Loretta Lynn is the clip I just played. Uh, the, being, um, She was nominated to become the next United States Attorney General, and she says that she does not support cannabis legalization, and uh, she would go out of her way to, you know, prosecute these people. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole issue of the drug war? Well, I, I I don't know. I just I, I've spoken to many people and and I've seen a lot of comments from other people, especially from a lot of Ferguson organizers. Things aren't looking too good, and, and I and I think that what's going to happen is this this person is going to like whatever the system that that is in place uh, now is, is going to remain the same. This person is going to she's going to go out of her way to keep it the same, you know. Be it with the the drug war, you know, and that that's what fuels us into going to these prisons and becoming slaves mm-hmm. to the system, you know, and also I think the same, same thing when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, this police brutality, uh, nationwide epidemic, you know, um, I, I don't know, it, it's, as, uh, as, as I see how things are going with marijuana, you know, um, I mean, I don't understand how, how we can legalize it in, in a few, you know, in a few uh, parts of the country. And people are starting to, you know, become open-minded enough to, to see that, you know, it's okay, you know, and and that it's not really, you're not that much of a threat, you know, and and for this person to, you know, to go out of her way to, you know, make this, uh, you know, the, the pro, you know, make sure people are highly prosecuted over, you know, marijuana and stuff like that, that's kind of defeating uh, the cause and it's kind of defeating, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of kind of keeping the problem persistent yeah it's continuing the same old same old yeah i mean the drug war is is racial profiling um is directly related to the drug war that's what they're looking for when they're stopping all these young black men with with dreads you know just to you know comment on Mackey's ridiculous uh statement but yeah you know and then the racial profiling leads to police contact police contact leads to black people getting shot down in the streets uh or it leads right. to millions of black bodies 
on these prison plantations, toiling for corporations and making money for the state and the federal government and, of course, the stockholders of the private prisons. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and, and it's a huge problem because I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand like where, where, where you can be fined or jailed, you know, severely over some marijuana. I mean, it's not like you know people overdosing from it or people are are, are taking this drug and, and going off to committing murders or things of that nature, you know. And and I'm not understanding, you know, why this is such a Problem because man, I mean, there's lots of money to be made on locking people right. up on plantations now. Well, that's why well, that's you know, it's illogical, yeah. you know, to lock somebody up over a plant for what they put in their own body. Yes, that's illogical, but slavery right. is illogical, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it and, makes sense and, to them. You know, the ones that profit off of our enslavement and off our cheap labor, uh, slave labor in, in the prisons. But, I mean, man, she's trying to move up in the system, man. She's trying to just assure right. these people, these racist men like Jeff Sessions, Alabama Republican, Lindsey Graham, South Carolina Republican. She's just reassuring them, no, man, I'm going to still be down with locking up all these people. I'm down with that. So you ain't got to worry right. about me. Go ahead and give me that promotion. That's what she's saying. Now, 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 now with the whole marijuana thing, I, I noticed that um, blacks and whites are treated very differently because marijuana. I, I personally know a lot of white individuals who, when they're caught with marijuana, police just confiscate the marijuana and they just go about their business. No ticket, no fine. No jail time, nothing. You know, now for a lot of blacks, you know, we're jailed, and then we're fined, and everything else, and it, it just snowballs into a ongoing case. And a lot of times, a lot of them, after this happens, they end up with warrants and don't even know it, and it just further throws them even further into the system. You, you see what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. But listen, great you know, knowledge. This, I got this is why this is why why recent like Denver like they they made illegal there. I mean this. They don't have much black population. Yeah, Colorado, Alaska, Washington, um, the only state, or it's not even a state. Where Sarah Taylor's from? Yeah, yeah, that's where she's from. But you're you're correct. You're you're on the right track. In the states that they have legalized it recreationally and medicinally are predominantly white. So, yeah. Um. I got. I do got to move on, man. I want to thank you for for your call, man. And you be safe down there, all right? No problem. Nice, nice being on the show. Nice talking to you. Uh, tune in every show and I listen. Uh, spread word. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right, that was uh. Q and A Q is cleared. <clears throat> that was great knowledge from down there around Ferguson, Missouri, uh, on the front lines. Uh, so yeah, here's the notes I took. I, I want to get through this. Um. I may not have time to get to uh, what's his name, John McCain, and um, him calling those people low life scumbags. And it's, I mean, this is you saying this stuff while you're chairing a committee, you know, a Senate committee hearing. You're calling people low life scum. 
You know what I'm saying? That just goes to show you his character by the words that he used in that setting. How professional. Is that correct, John McCain, to be calling people scum, you know, uh, uh, in your esteemed position as chairman of the Armed Services Committee? Is that right? Is that correct? That's how you get down. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, getting back to uh, Loretta Lynn's uh, confirmation hearings. Uh, again, Jeff Sessions is a, a, a um, Alabama boy. Uh, from down there, uh, down the way, and uh, he's in the Republican Party. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, you know, that's John McCain's girlfriend. That's at least what I've been told. I'm not trying to say I have any knowledge of any kind of relationship between Lindsey Graham and, and John McCain, but that's what I've heard around the water cooler, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, he's a Republican coming out of South Carolina, Um now, here's some notes I took. Okay. Isn't it interesting how Republicans like to talk about state rights and things of that nature uh, whenever they're talking about red states practicing some kind of uh, racism or, you know, want to deny people to vote, the vote, uh, want to do this, want to do that, stand your ground and all this and that, not that I'm against stand your ground. But, you know, they always talk about, you know, when it suits them in their constituency to start talking about states' rights, states' rights. Oh, Texas going to succeed from the union because the federal government is trampling our rights and, and all of that mess. But then when it comes to an issue like the drug war where non-white people, particularly black people, are the primary targets to enslave on a prison plantation, Oh, no, we don't care about state rights. We don't care about Alaska. We don't care about Colorado, Washington, Oregon, uh, whatever, Washington, D.C. Yeah, we certainly don't care about Washington, D.C., uh, so-called rights. Uh, no, we want to, uh, cause then federal law trumps, uh, state law, preempts state law. See how, how see how hypocritical these people are, um, Loretta Lynn says, okay, it may be the policy of the current attorney general and in, 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 in Department of Justice to not go after people for petty marijuana crimes and in states that have legalized it. We're going to not focus our resources uh, on those issues and then refocus them on more serious, you know, crimes like that. And uh, what did Loretta say, Miss Loretta Lynn? I don't want to be disrespectful. Miss um, Loretta Lynn said, uh, but my policy would be, you know, because we got to save the children. We got to keep, you know, these this marijuana out of the children's hands and, and all of that. So my policy would be totally different because it's against the law. And doggone it, I'm going to uphold the federal law. You know, they asked her about... Um, she talked about violence. Look, that's a myth right there. You know, all the violence associated with the, with uh, marijuana. Well, look, the violence comes from the fact that you have made these things illegal. And now there is you've created a street market for it so that all of these people that you don't have jobs for or you're discriminating against them because they have prior criminal records. And, I, you know, I'm going back to the show we did with Krista Irvis, Irvin on, on criminal record expungement and how it leads people back into crime. But, you know, you have created drug war policy under Nixon, which he said he started this to target the black people without seeming like it, you know, 
the violence comes from the fact that you have created this illegal street market that is very lucrative. You know, cannabis is the most consumed drug in the United States. Okay. And so all of these violent drug cartels and stuff, they're out there fighting for their market share. So it is not cannabis, the plant that's causing the violence. It is U.S. drug war policy going all the way back to Richard Nixon and his Democratic buddies in Congress. All right. That created the DEA. She talked about money laundering. These banks that have been busted for money laundering. Um, guess what has happened to them? And I talked about this this week, I think, you know, or last night on New Abolitionist Radio, you know, uh, Wachovia, which is now, you know, part of Wells Fargo since they bought it up. Um, Bank of America. Um, there's another bank. I can't remember the acronyms for it. HSC, something like that. Look, these people have been busted for laundering billions of dollars of drug money and they only had to pay a fine a civil fine and none of those bankers who i'm assuming are predominantly white people and i know they got a a couple of proxies in there sprinkled in but none of them were brought up on criminal charges not a one Oh, just give us our cut. That's the U.S. government. Just give us our cut of this drug money in and you can keep the rest. Because you would think if it was really about justice and upholding the law that they would seize all of the profits, all of the money. But, of course, we've been told banks are too big to fail. And and obviously, you know, these CEOs are, are too far up the chain to jail. All right. So, but you lock up all of these people on the street who are using it for medicinal purposes, using it for recreational purposes, who are just hustling on the street to, you know, make up to, uh, um, excuse me, raise some additional funds because their uh, minimum wage job isn't cutting it and they can't find, they can only work so many jobs. So yeah, they'll sling a little weed on the side to help make ends meet, you know, uh, which I ain't got a problem with as long as they're not selling the kids. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, justice for some and for the rest of us, you know, is prison. All right. So anyway, um, let me see what else did I write? They mentioned DEA head Michelle Leonhardt. Uh, she was appointed by George Bush. Um, I don't know why President Obama kept her um, as the DEA, um, as yeah, as the head of the DEA. She is another proxy racist tool, black woman. Okay, I don't know if she has a white parent or not, but she is black. She will be classified in the system as being black. And I, and I called it at the time when it happened, when President Obama made the factually based statement that marijuana is no more harmful than alcohol, which really is far, far, far less harmful than alcohol. But when he made that factual statement, Michelle Leonhardt, in an act of insubordination, issued her own press statement, you know, saying, I disagree with that and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, we should, this is very dangerous drug and, and blah, 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 blah. All the propaganda that we typically, uh, hear associated with why they should keep it illegal. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, she gets down 
with Michelle Leonhardt. They are of a similar mind. Uh, Michelle Leonhardt probably will, you know, the next president will probably get to keep her job again. Um, again, she talked about seeking prosecutions of people, whereas the Department of Justice said that this isn't a priority in states that have legalized. We are going to uh, uh, respect states' rights. We're going to respect the rights of the voters to make up their own minds about what they, what people can and cannot have in their country and, or, you know, in their state and, and put into their bodies. You know, we're not recommending them. They, they use these things, but you know, they are adults. They can make up their, make their own decisions. And, you know, so yeah, again, children, 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 we're just about protecting the children when actually you're making uh, drugs more available to the children when you allow them to be sold on the street counters in the uh, um, street corners in the back alleys in the crack houses and things of that nature. So it's the policy. It's the drug war policy that's making the streets unsafe. It is the drug war policy that is making drugs readily available to children because you got some of these guys out here that do not care. Oh, I shouldn't just put it on men, but you got people out here uh, dealing drugs who do not care if they sell, you know, to high school kids and younger. All right. And that's a problem. That's a, a that's very incorrect behavior. Those people belong in prison. They belong in prison if they selling the kids. They most certainly do. Okay, but again, it is the drug war policy that is making this uh, uh um making the streets unsafe for us and our kids. And going back to DEA, Michelle Leonhardt again. Uh, we covered this last night on New Abolitionist Radio about the two twin brothers. Uh, who were in the Sinaloa drug cartel and you know they got sentenced for 14 years 14 years now and they done smuggled tons of drugs into the United States um, made billions of dollars for the Sinaloa drug cartel and they was doing this all with the blessing of Michelle Leonhardt at the DEA okay uh, at the DEA um, I do Okay, I'm sorry. I had an emergency. I had to address um, apologies. Um, yeah, um, but anyway, they cut a deal with the Sinaloa drug cartel to allow them to traffic drugs into the United States if the Sinaloa drug cartel fed them information so that they could posture in the media like they're really doing something, you know, to stop the drugs from coming in. But they were, you know, if the Sinaloa drug cartel would give them information on their competition, on their rivals. And if you feed us information on your rivals, we will give you a free pass and let you smuggle tons of drugs into the United States. Now, this was exposed by the largest uh, newspaper in Mexico. And then once it was exposed by them, then it got exposed here in the United States. Although, you know, not many of the alphabet corporate news channels carried this story. I, I wrote about it. I shared it, uh, you know, with the outlets that did report on it. And, you know, they this woman should have been their co-defendants. All right. Think about this. This is on the scale of the Iran-Contra uh, crack cocaine ring that the CIA was running, running, allowing all this cheap cocaine to be dumped into the black community. This is the same thing. It is no different. 
They supplied over 80% of the drugs on the street of Chicago and then used Chicago as a distribution point to other cities, all with the blessings of the DEA, of Michelle Linhart, of the United States government. Now, the way they're trying to confuse people is, okay, we're going we're gonna to charge these two guys and make it look like they were working for us so that we could bust the Sinaloa cartel. See the deception that they engaged in? And yeah, they arrested the head of the Sinaloa drug cartel. Um, Yeah, they arrested him. He's facing charges right now. He hasn't been convicted. But do you think that's going to stop anything? No, there will be someone else to take. In fact, someone else has taken his place. They work just like corporations or they work just like a U.S. military. Or if the captain gets killed, then the first sergeant or the first lieutenant is in charge. The first lieutenant gets killed. Oh, the first sergeant is in charge. First sergeant gets killed. Oh, the staff sergeant is or the sergeant first class is in charge. He gets killed. and There's a chain. There's a chain of command. You think these drug cartels don't have a chain of command? And someone to step in and take his place and keep uh, and keep smuggling these drugs. These people are criminals. They're criminals. Well, that's that's all I got to say on Michelle Leonhardt. I'm gonna take a short break, and when I come back, I'm gonna get ready to wrap it up with this information on John McCain. You're listening to the Black Talk Radio Live Drive at Five. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Black grace founded on two-thirds a person. Great things and beatings and suffering and worsens. Black human packages tied up in strings. Black rage can come from all these kinds of things. Thank you. 
I'd like to uh, say to my colleagues uh, and to our distinguished witnesses this morning that I have, uh, I've been a member of this committee for many years, and I have never seen anything as disgraceful and outrageous and despicable as the last demonstration that just took place about, you know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. If we can't get the Capitol Hill police in here immediately, get out of here, you low-life scum. So, Henry, I hope you will, Dr. Kissinger, I hope on behalf of all of the members of this committee on both sides of the aisle, in fact, from all of my colleagues, I'd like to apologize for allowing such uh, disgraceful behavior towards a man who served his country with the greatest distinction. I apologize profusely. The Senate Armed Services Committee meets today to receive testimony on global challenges and U.S. national security strategy. Um, yeah, that was uh, John McCain calling people low-life scum for calling out a piece of low-life scum like Henry Kissinger, who is responsible for the deaths of millions. You know, he's not the sole responsible, the sole person responsible, but he played a big role in it as uh, the state uh, a former secretary of state advisors to some of the most powerful racist white supremacists on the planet. He, he himself is a very powerful, uh, racist white supremacist and he is responsible for the millions upon millions of death of non-white people globally, globally, you know, but, uh, of course, John McCain said, Oh, he did us a great service and great American and this and that. This man also, was the author of National Security Memo 200. If you read National Security Memo 200, you will you will get a glimpse into the mind of a sociopath, of a psychopathic killer who talked about gaining control of the world's food sources and using food as a weapon against non-white countries. You know, and I'm paraphrasing it. He called them third world countries and whatnot. This is how we're going to secure ourselves. You know, this man is a freaking war criminal. He's a megalomaniac. I just don't even understand why they even keep pulling him out, out the closet, you know, or, or you know, uh, man. Well, I do know because he's still involved. He's still advising the United States government. He's being called on at this Armed Services Committee to come and testify about, you know, John McCain's terrorist friends, all right? But, of course, they won't put him in those terms and, and whatnot. But this man is a, I just can't stress enough how evil Henry Kissinger is. Everywhere he goes, he gets confronted. All right. And John McCain is a war criminal himself. He participated in Vietnam, bombing all them schools and hospitals and killing all them kids and, and whatnot. And, and certainly he's proud of his service in, in, you know, for global white supremacy and whatnot. And, and John McCain also uh, back Chile, you know, during this time. I think John McCain was a senator at the time. 
That's how long this this clown has been in the U.S. government. Uh, at the time when Pinochet was running Chile and they had all those death squads and stuff that were trained down there in Georgia at the United States School of Americas, all right, where they train uh, uh, killers, you know, to go out and slaughter people. So John McCain is a, is a war criminal himself. So, you know, it was no big deal for a war criminal to defend another war criminal, you know, but even using that kind of language just goes to show you how crass this man is, you know, you low life scum, you know, man, please. Now, I, I, you know, I'm about to wrap up the program, but I do have some final thoughts on, on Loretta, um, uh, Miss Loretta Lynn, um, like I said on Facebook the other day, Facebook, you can really take the pulse of a community, of a group, of the people you're connected to. You can really use that to gather data and, and, and you know, do psychological experiments or sociological experiments and, and things of that nature. And I said on Facebook a couple of days ago about how how I can tell a lot about a person by what they will share on Facebook and what they won't share on Facebook. I think I said social media. All right. And so, again, just to illustrate how dangerous, how powerful, how ingenious a tool of proxy racism is, you know, is I want to bring to your attention that when I posted this information, about Loretta Lynch says she doesn't support cannabis legalization. And I wrote my own commentary about how she's supporting legalized slavery and cannabis is how they acquired the most slaves to labor for the federal, state, and private prisons. I wonder if she supports the Redeem Act. Probably not. Looks like we have another proxy racist tool on our hands that is going to get promoted up the ladder of racism and white supremacy. I'm sure many non-white people will support her because she is black and black mothers with sons lost to the drug war will support her because she's a black woman. And I mentioned we are losing this war very badly and racial showcasing, which is the term Neely Fuller uses is a great tool that refined white supremacists use on non-white people. They are stealth bombers. And so I put out a call to all new abolitionists, those who are against 21st century slavery and human trafficking, to email their senators and to oppose this woman's confirmation. See, we, again, we suffer we suffer from this mental condition. I don't mean to sound angry. I don't mean like to come off like I'm yelling at these people or anything like that. I just get passionate, you know, at times about these issues because I live these issues. I see all the pain and suffering. I see all the degradation. I see all the slavery and human trafficking and everything that entails. And I get, I get passionate about it, the need to end all of this. And, and so... Very few people had anything to say about this. And I share this on several pages. Very few people like the post, which is, you know, a way to gauge whether or not they agree with the content or not, or, or shared it, which means that, oh, I really agree with this. So I'm sharing this. People need to know, you know, mm -mm -mm, not on this black face in a high place. No, we got to support this woman because we are suffering from this mental condition of, of, 
you know, white people been telling us we are inferior for so long. And so, you know, it makes us feel good about ourselves as a people to see, you know, black people and other non-white people advance in this system that's killing us. They sitting up here telling you what they about to do to you for these white supremacists. And you can't even bring yourself to oppose this woman on principle. That's that's a big problem. And again, this is why I say this is the greatest tool that racist white supremacists could have ever come up with is that integration, the illusion of inclusion. People want to hold out a third good marshal, first black states, uh, 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 United States Supreme Court justice. Oh, that's great black achievement. Let's talk about him during the month of February. We're so proud of him. When this man was an FBI informant working for F, for racist J. Edgar Hoover informing on some of our warriors. So anyway, I just want to say I understand we suffer. We are suffering from a number of 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 mental conditions and we just want to so much show the world that we are smart that we are intelligent and that we can be great americans but what does being american mean to me it means a white supremacist and i'll leave it at that i will be back on the air tomorrow um at Five o'clock p.m. Eastern time, the live drive at five. Let me pull up my calendar. Uh, we have a former member of the Black Panther Party, one of our warriors, uh, coming on. His name is Aaron Dixon. We are going to uh, interview him about his book, My People Are Rising, memoir of a Black Panther Party captain. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, tune in tomorrow for the live drive at five right here on Black Talk Radio Network. And I'll be broadcasting from behind these enemy lines. Peace and blessings to all y'all. Be safe out there. Party people, party people, then you'll get funky. Suicide and force, then you'll get funky. Those who relate to you, will get funky. Yeah, just hit me. Just hit me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.